0: minute before we went on the line, everything went dead. So uh, Sergio over in Israel got it squared away, and we're back up in shape. So we're going to get started right now, and uh, let's see here. It is uh, Psalm 119, starting in verse 121 this week. We've got no gym, so that's all right. Psalm 119, where am I? Well, it's crazy. I mean, just seconds before it starts. I the. uh done. Streaming shuts down. Okay, 119 verse 21. This is the letter Ayin. I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. My eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O oh Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, then fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. So, let's go ahead and go to the Lord really quickly in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for getting the streaming going. Thank you for Sergio, who is so attentive to these things. And uh, uh, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the kind hand. You had upon him and his uh, efforts in Israel yesterday with a similar problem, which was resolved right after a prayer. You're so good to us, and you do attend to our prayers. I don't understand why, but you're so good to us. And Lord, we certainly have prayers prayers to le- lift up to you today that are going on in people's lives. We want to give a prayer of thanks that we have a, a brother that's here today that hasn't been here before, and we're thankful to see his face and to share in a, a Bible study with him and we have prayers for people that are sick, that are not doing well for people that have tensions in their life with other people, difficulties and financial trials and the list is long Lord you know every one of them, we just lift them up cumulatively to you, we pray that you'll be attentive to them and help them through their times of difficulty and trial and set them up on the rock way above where they can look down and say that it's all okay now Things are, are taken care of. And Lord, we just thank you for the chance to come here and to share in your word, to have a, a study together and fellowship. And we just, it, it's overwhelming, Lord, that we can uh, do so here and with people that are online. We request that you would bless each and every one of them in this study tonight. Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus above all. Thank you for the cross of Calvary, and thank you that we are reconciled to you through him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I have, uh, before I read today in history, uh, for Christian history, I got to read you something. I got a letter from somebody, um, and it says, while listening to the, I started getting really worried, you know, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, something's wrong, and I, I wanted to get, you know, when you're reading something, it, it seems like it's going to a place of doom. You want to get to the end, you want to know what the problem is. It says, while well, listening to Romans 9:17 9, through 19 study the other evening, it pained Jackie and I to hear about your struggles with conflict and how it robs you of your joy. I probably made a comment about something, you know. And he says, as you said, you are the one that has to choose not to be like that. We don't like conflict either and would uh, love to have a good answer to the question, why can't we all get along? You seem to be a peace-loving man, and I'm betting— Uh, would love to be considered a peace broker. To that extent, we thought that we would send you this little gift that will help you be instrumental in brokering peace. I'm really worried by this time. Uh, Between two groups who have suffered needless conflict and misunderstanding for many, many years, it's one of, if not the greatest cause of contention between the two groups that has occurred in the last 40 years. With this pride, with with this, with pride and confidence, I'm sure it will be a catalyst for many a conversation and a witness opportunity. And he sent me a shirt that has. I knew it. Yeah. it's got Star Wars, and I didn't get it. I'm it, it's Star Trek down here. I, I looked at like for five minutes and finally I realized. You've got the Star Wars crowd and the Star Trek cuts. I'm always talking about Star Trek, and I laughed so hard when I finally realized what he was talking. I'm thinking there's this crisis that needs to be solved. Oh, my hair standing up just to how happy he made me. So thanks to Bruce, Bruce and Jackie for that. That really made my day. But I, I, I just wasn't cluing in. What's he talking? What's his conflict? And I looked Star Trek. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm. Star Trek guy and uh, Star Wars people take it passionately so by both sides yes you could yes you could okay today's 22nd February and uh, let's see here through the same door Martin Luther started the Reformation and passed into eternal rest in 1517 A Dominican friar named Johann Tetzel had been selling indulgences near Wittenberg to raise money for constructing st. Peter's in Rome According to Tetzel, those who purchased an indulgence would receive remission purgatory. Indulgences, yes, and this was a giant moneymaker for him, and it's one of the reasons for the split, but um, I watched a movie on Martin Luther just recently, and the guy that did this did a great job. He was was selling these indulgences, and it was just so gross, and they made it just beautiful. But anyway, every word that Luther said in this movie was something that he had written himself, so it followed the story. It was very well done, and... um, Uh, Anyway, so um, indulgences could be purchased on behalf of dead relatives and friends. The punchline of Tetzel's sermon was, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. (laughs) Yeah, easy money, huh? The sale of these indulgences infuriated Martin Luther, the professor of biblical studies at the University of Wittenberg, and he decided to hold a disputation with other faculty members on the subject. A professor interested in holding a disputation would nail the theses to be discussed on the cathedral door. Luther posed his 95 theses on the great wooden door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, on October 31st of 1517. Some of Luther's points for discussion were, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ in saying repent ye intended that the whole life of believers should be penitents those who believe that through letters of pardon they are made sure of their own salvation will be eternally damned together with their teachers every true Christian whether living or dead has a share in all the benefits of Christ and of the church given him by God even without letters of pardon. the true treasure of the church is the holy gospel of the glory and grace of God Luther knew from his own repentance and conversion that paying and indulgence could not achieve forgiveness of sins Shortly before posting the ninety-five theses, luther had begun studying the Greek New Testament, and his studies persuaded him that the Greek word for repentance metanoia meant a change of heart, not mere performance of outward works, as theologians of his day defined it. Luther wrote the ninety-five theses in Latin, intending them to be discussed by scholars, not circulated among the populace. But, as Luther himself acknowledged, in a fortnight they flew all over Germany, translated into German, and sold, away, sold as far away as Rome, the 95 Theses became much more than a university exercise. For the next two decades, Luther enjoyed seeing the Reformation grow. Many regions of Germany accepted the evangelical doctrines that Luther and other reformers discovered in the scriptures luther had lived to see a second generation of evangelicals sing the hymns he had written read his german translation of the bible and learned his catechism from their early childhood throughout his life he preached and taught god's promise of redemption to the repentant sinner on his deathbed he prayed "O lord jesus christ i commend my poor soul to thee O heavenly father i know that although i should be taken from this life i shall live forever forever with thee God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son; that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, into Thy hands I commit my spirit. Luther died on February eighteenth, fifteen forty-six, at the age of sixty-two in Eisleben, uh, the city where he was born. As word of his death spread to Wittenberg, bells tolled and people crowded the streets, wanting to pay their last respects to their leader. On Monday, February twenty second, 1546, accompanied by a caravan that included his wife, Katie, his four children, and a throng of his followers, Luther's casket was borne through the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, on which more than 28 years before, the young monk had nailed his theses. Reflection. Little did Martin Luther realize that the forces that would be set in motion by the posting of his 95 theses he merely felt it necessary to speak out against the error of his day he was willing to stand up and be counted for truth and God used him to change the world do you ever feel that you should speak out against error there's no predicting how God will honor your faithfulness and from 2 Timothy 2 verse 25 it says they should gently teach those who oppose the truth perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will believe the truth so, good word and um, I asked a German friend of mine, some of you know him very well, he's been here, flown here twice to attend the uh, service with us from Germany, and I asked him one time, because something dawned on me while he was visiting the last time he was here, I was sick, so I wasn't in the mood for doing much, but I was at least in the mood for asking him, who are the two most famous Germans of all time? One the most famous and two the most infamous. And he thought about it, and he said, no doubt, Martin Luther and Adolf Hitler. Yeah. And you think of the difference between the two. Wow. One changed the world for Christ, the other one persecuted God's people, and uh, is often his uh, eternal reward of damnation. But anyway, he, with, he just very quickly came up with that, and that's exactly what I thought he would say. But I wasn't sure if the German people would come up with a, a different uh, uh, a different conclusion because, you know, it's, their culture, but he said no doubt about it, so there you go, Martin Luther and uh, Adolf Hitler, the most famous and the most infamous, but uh, anyway, that would make a, a good sermon someday, if we ever get through the Bible and we start doing topical <laughs> sermons, I'll do one, um, let's see here, um, oh, we're in the book of Romans, I was turning back to Leviticus and we're not there, it's not Sunday, so we're in Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 30 today. go. Here two thousand ninety five. Two thousand ninety five. That'd be okay with me. If the Lord keeps us here, that would be good. All right, let's see here. Um, uh, nine and verse thirty says I'm gonna back up. I'm gonna back up a little bit because I wanna start at the oh I'm an ex. Well it doesn't help to be an ex if we're doing book of Romans. So nine thirty. let's see here, where's the paragraph begin? Oh, it begins a new paragraph. Nine thirty. What shall we say then? That Gentiles remember we talked about the transition from the uh, the uh, Jew to the Gentile and then back to the Jew the chiasm in the book of Hosea that shows us that okay and we talked about all of what was uh, gonna come upon the Jews last week how they would be like um, Sodom they would be made like Gomorrah they would be just a remnant saved okay well now he's talking about the Gentiles what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness they had no law They were all out there just doing their own thing they didn't pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness even the righteousness of faith they went from nothing to believing in God's plan of salvation right there and it it went this amazing leap whereas the Jews are under the law and they're thinking we've got to do things in order to please God and so they missed the faith but I had a guy he sends out a prophecy update every week and um, uh, it's just a short commentary on like he did Jeremiah and now he's in the book of Ezekiel And he asked me a question I'm not going to give you the whole thing because I don't have the sermon here in front of me but um, he asked a question he said he was referring to um, uh, one of the passages in Ezekiel about um, you shall he shall live and not die if the the person sins against the Lord he shall live and not die and he said in his commentary I believe this is speaking of spiritual death in other words separation from God and physical death and he said other people will disagree, and he gave his commentary, and I went back and I said, that's spot on. There's no doubt about it. Uh, they were under a different uh, state before the Lord. They were looking forward to the Messiah, and if they were not in obedience to the anticipating the Messiah, then the soul who uh, sins will die. It's speaking about spiritual separation from God, not physical death. God's not going to come in and zap somebody dead because they're not being obedient. He'll do it through, um, you know, uh, a judgment. He'll do through exile and things like that but he doesn't go and individually kill people okay. now and I know in Ezekiel chapter 9 he says to do that he makes a picture of the people it's a little different but anyway just trust me on this he's right in his commentary but his question was before we get into uh, uh, Romans it, it's tied into it that's why I'm giving you this his question was do you think that Adam was saved he had 930 years in order to come to God And there's really nothing in the bible about it it just it gets the genesis story and then it goes directly into you know adam died 930 years old and he had other children it just skips into the next narrative of cain and abel and it doesn't really speak about him and i said yes he was there's no doubt about it and if you go back and look at my genesis 3 sermon you'll see it but here's what it says in genesis 3. it says um towards the end uh where is it let me go to he, he gives them the curses you know, cursed is this on you, curse is that on you. And it says, um, uh, verse 20, and Adam called his wife wife's name Chavah, or Eve, okay, which means living, because she was the mother of the living, okay? Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them, okay? Um, that one verse right there, verse 21, tells us that he was saved. And the reason why is because he's cursing him. He's giving him the things that are going to happen to him, and this is, your punishment for being disobedient and the first thing that Adam does the very first thing or recorded not the first thing he did but it's the first thing that is recorded that Adam did was to name his wife and it was to name her life in other words he now has faith that the promise that he heard in Genesis 315 will come about she's the mother of the living not the dead she's the mother of the living verse 21 covers all the avenues of salvation all of them also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made skins of tunic something has to die in order to give up its skin okay Christ is the one that provides the covering he is our righteousness the Lord our righteousness in Revelation chapter 3 I will uh, give you garments of white those who overcome it etc okay so it is Christ who is the one that died he is the one that gave the covering God was making a picture of Christ to come he did everything, all three of the things. Adam exercised faith, one. Christ died, two. And we believe in that, the faith based on that, on the promise. And then you're receiving the covering or the clothing of Christ. So there's no doubt that he was saved, 100%. That is what he is telling us right in the very first verse after the fall of man. Yes. I think this was after you, and mine doesn't have he clothes them, but I right. got he clothes them, and I think I got that from you in Oh in yes. your sermon. Yes. Now, I, I will tell you one thing that's rather interesting, just so you know, is that when I first did that sermon, Sergio was there, you know, recording on the beach, and he came up and he said, I never looked at it that way. The Russian Bible says that he gave them garments of skin, meaning that they were a different type of being, and then he made them into a skin person. Before they were incorruptible, and now they're corruptible. And so they say that the skin is what they actually received. And so that's, the Russian Bible say that. And you said, that was always what I was under. But this makes more sense, I think, is what Sergio said, because it's showing a picture of redemption. They were already mortal, or not mortal, they were already physical beings, yeah. and they were already mortal from the time that they ate the fruit. So they were already going to die. He said, on the day that you do this, you're going to die. They were spiritually Connected at that time. So it is. It's a picture of Christ, but absolutely wonderful, wonderful stuff. And that ties directly into what we're talking about here. Adam went from a state of not faith immediately to a state of faith. And that is what the Gentiles did. They went from not faith to faith. The law was an insert to show us all kinds of things. We've been talking about the law for months and months and months. We talked about it earlier in Romans, but the law has all kinds of purposes. It's one to show God's standard, his righteous, holy standard. All right. It's to show that no man can meet the demands of the law. By the law, man is condemned. He can't be saved by the law. It's to show us our need for Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of things that the law does. In order to lead us to Christ okay and so they are under the law and they're missing the fact that they need Christ even though as we've already seen back a couple chapters in Romans David understood that he needed something more than the law remember the the verse where he says blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity well that can't happen in the law except from the day of atonement he was covered with a righteousness not of the law and he understood that but the leaders of israel did not understand that they're the teachers of israel as john said in uh, jesus said in john chapter three you know you're the teacher of israel how am i going to tell you about heavenly things if you can not even understand these earthly things this is what the bible's telling us we go from a state of not knowing to a state of knowing the gentiles had no comprehension and they went to faith immediately because they understood i'm a sinful person they're thinking, I'm okay through the law. I may be sinful, but the law takes care of that. It doesn't, whereas the Gentiles didn't have that, and so they immediately grasped what the Jews didn't grasp. So faith is the key. So once again, um, what shall we say then? That Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, they have no law, they're not pursuing righteousness, they may do kind things, they may live good lives, but they're, they're not pursuing it in the way that God would expect us to and yet they have uh, attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. So here are my comments on it. What shall we say then? Paul's question is introduced in order to provide a response to Paul's thoughts on verses 14 through 29. In essence, how will I sum up all of what we've gone through? Okay, and 14 through 29 has been like the past three or four weeks. Okay, so everything we've talked about, how am I going to sum that up? Depending on how one views the concept of total depravity, and also how we become justified before God, different views of how to handle this verse will be proposed. Those who follow Calvinism will naturally use these words, along with other verses such as Romans 3:10 through18, to say that Gentiles could not seek after righteousness. That is not at all what's being said, nor is it that, nor is that what Romans 3:10 through18 is saying. If you want, go back and watch those videos, or you can read the commentaries online, and I explain what it's saying. It's not saying that at all. But a Calvinist would say that a Gentile could not seek after righteousness. Here's what it says. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness? doesn't say they couldn't. It just says that they didn't. Okay? There's a difference between couldn't and didn't. But Calvinism would not allow that. Okay? Okay um had a a thought that I want to give you really oh total depravity before I uh, go on with the rest of that because I don't know if I'm gonna talk about it later total depravity means the state before God we are totally depraved and there's nothing good in and of ourselves okay but what does that mean specifically and I'll give you an example I I mentioned this and I think I've said it during the Roman sermon but when I uh, went to my friend called me yesterday I sent him an email First thing in the morning, I won't tell why. And then I haven't talked to this guy in a year now. I sent him an email first thing in the morning because something happened. And I'm sitting there yesterday working and the phone rings and it says, Hey Charlie, it's Greg here and I I picked it up so quick, he's thinking to me exactly the same time. Bizarre. Anyway, so he's the guy that led me to go to uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, Norman Geisler Seminary, which is in Matthews, North Carolina. Now he went there because it was right down the road from him, but It's very good school anyway um, uh, when I emailed them to find out about you know how to become a member and you know what is their doctrinal statement and all of this I um, uh, read the entire doctrinal statement which was about three and a half or four pages of just all theological information we believe in a pre-tribulation pre-millennial this and we everything they said I said I can agree with that with the exception of two words and it wasn't an agree or a disagree, it was just that they said, we believe that man is totally depraved. And so I emailed Dr. Potter, and I said, uh, I don't think he was a doctor at the time, and maybe he's still not, but I think he's a doctor now. Anyway, I emailed him, he was the guy that, to contact, and I said, what do you mean by these two words? Because if he said something that I disagreed with, I couldn't sign that statement of faith. Because it can be viewed in several different ways. And he came back with his answer and I said, that is exactly what I believe. And I signed it and I sent it in. Having said that, there are all kinds of things in there that I was sitting in class with other people and a point about what was something they signed on the doctrinal statement would come up and they said, I don't agree with that. I said, you signed the doctrinal statement, didn't you? Read it. You know, people just sign things. You, you you are accountable for what you sign in this life. When you sign an insurance policy, you're accountable for what it says. You know, if you're going to sign for a new car, what the lease is. Are you going to sign it? And no, you can pay $200 a month, and they put $450. Now you're obligated, right? You are accountable for what you sign. How much more when you're going into a theological seminary, right? I read the entire thing word by word and I came down to two words that I wanted to know about total depravity what does that mean to you total depravity means my state before God is totally depraved I cannot save myself there's nothing I can do to it but do I have free will to choose does God change me and say you are now no longer unrighteous I am I am regenerating you and so that you will call on Jesus is that remember we went through all that Total depravity can mean all different kinds of things. And if they had said the Calvinist stand, I could not have signed that doctrine. What I would have done is I would have said, do you mind if I change this and say, I disagree with your premise of total depravity, and I'll sign a statement from there. As long as I can annotate it on there. I didn't have to. Anyway, total depravity. Um, How uh, we become justified before God, right? Rather, the word translated as pursue, Paul says pursue, speaks of the exertion of ongoing concentrated vigor towards something. Let me read it again. It's uh, verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, okay, it speaks of the exertion of ongoing concentrated vigor towards something. They just didn't bother. It's not saying that they couldn't pursue it. They didn't bother why would I get God's out there and I'm here and you know he's gonna think he's gonna weigh me on the balances or whatever people think about how they're gonna get to heaven they're not pursuing righteousness okay they didn't vigorously do it because there's no standard for them to follow okay so um, a comparable thought would be a hunter following after game there is nothing in this verse to stay that state that the Gentile world didn't pursue righteousness in some capacity We can look around the world and see numerous examples of non-Christians who seek peace and the welfare of others, right? Mahatma Gandhi, he sought the welfare of others. Martin Luther King was a Baptist preacher, but irrelevant. He sought peace, and, you know, we've got people that the Nobel Peace Prizes. We do that because they're seeking peace. It doesn't mean they're doing it right or in accordance with God's will. But they're seeking peace okay all of these are done as deeds looking to establish some sort of righteousness they're not pursuing God's righteousness they're just pursuing righteousness okay so they are pursuing a righteousness the pursuit which Paul is speaking up here is the standing which leads to justification before God the fulfillment of the law that's what he's speaking about here the fulfillment of the law how could the Gentiles pursue that which they did not have they didn't pursue after the righteousness of the law which he specifically says that elsewhere where was that um uh 30 oh he's going to say it in 31 pursuing but israel pursuing the law okay of righteousness so you see there's a difference people are out there doing their own good things they're pursuing a righteousness but just not the one of the law that is what paul is speaking of okay it's uh the fulfillment of the law how could gentiles pursue after that which they did not have they weren't given the law it was given to israel and to nobody else it was the nation of Israel who had the law, and they pursued after it with zeal because it was what established them as a people and what offered them life and peace. Okay, and I'm talking about the ones that pursued it. All through the Old Testament, people aren't pursuing the law. They go into judgment. They go into exile. But that is their standard. And so when they want to pursue God, that's how they're going to do it. It also promised them, which we're going to see in Leviticus 26, where we have three more sermons in 25, and then after that, we're going to get in Leviticus 26 it promised them a right relationship with god if you do these things i will bless you i will do this i will favor you you'll be lifted above the nations and you'll you know you'll have all kinds of food and then the hills will be flowing with this and it just he promised them this is my guarantee to you okay promise them a right relationship with god the problem for them came in how they pursued it the gentiles didn't have this opportunity until jesus suddenly the floodgates of heaven were opened wide to the whole world at large Jew and Gentile alike the law which was that means being reconciled to God was fulfilled by him and in him and remember when we were doing the earlier Leviticus sermons I haven't done it for the past few weeks because it wasn't necessary but remember I went through what book of the Bible did I pull at verse after verse at the beginning of every single sermon I went to the book of begins with an H ends with Hebrews Hebrews okay (laughs) every single week I because we in a part of the law that people are saying you must do this okay I'm talking about Christians today you must observe the Sabbath you must observe these feasts you must do this and you must do that okay they're taking selected parts of law and they're saying you have to do this as a Christian and that's why I was very specific during that time in the book of Leviticus to read you several verses out of the book of Hebrews it says um, Hebrews chapter 7, um, let's see here, verse 12. "For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. okay? Remember, the priesthood of Aaron is um, uh, the priesthood of Aaron is the law of Moses. He is the administrator of that law. okay? Hebrews goes into great detail saying that well we have a priest for this priesthood. If we have a priest, which Jesus is called a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, right? If we have a priest and he's not of the order of Levi, then he can't serve a the temple. So he's a priest of a new covenant, okay? And so what does he say? For the priesthood being changed, you've gone from the priesthood of Aaron. You've now gone to the priesthood of Christ. Of necessity, there also must be a change of the law, okay? It's that simple. The law is done. You've gone from this law to this law. Verse 18 says, so this is chapter 7 still. For on the one hand, there is an annulling. Annulling means it is done. It is completely erased. It is wiped out. It is finished. There is an annulling of the former commandment, which is the law of Moses. You have the commandment called the law of Moses, and now you have the commandment called the new covenant in Christ's blood. The former commandment, because of is it, because of its, what does he call it? Its weakness and unprofitableness. The law was weak; it couldn't save anybody. It was unprofitable to the human soul. I just gave you all of those reasons why the law of Moses was given, and every one of them pointed to what our need for Jesus. Every single one of them. Without Jesus, the law couldn't save anybody. The blood of bulls and goats can not take away sins. It is impossible. They only pictured what was coming in Christ. So it's annulled because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Verse chapter eight, verse thirteen he says in that he says a new covenant this is christ jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. behold i will establish a new covenant with the house of israel and the house of judah right new covenant he has made the first obsolete done out so it's an old It's obsolete. It's weak. It's unprofitable. The law of Moses couldn't save anybody. Why would we go to church on a Sabbath day, which was a part of the law of Moses? Yes, it was instituted before it in Exodus 16, but I discussed that then. It was a sign at that time to who? Between God and the Jews. It had nothing to do with the Gentiles. It was incorporated into the law of Moses. It has nothing to do with Our salvation or our worship of God we worship in spirit and in truth Paul says we can worship on any day we can esteem one day above another or every day the same let each man be fixed in his own mind this misquote but basically that's what he says so it's uh, obsolete and then he says in chapter 10 verse 9 then he said behold I have come to do your will Oh God speaking of Jesus he takes away the first the law is taken away that he may establish the second the law of Moses is taken away. Now, I'm going to talk about this again and again over the next sermons. I don't think it'll be uh, uh, in chapter 15, although I may mention it in chapter 15, I'll certainly mention it in chapter uh, 25, 25, and uh, I will certainly mention chapter 26, is that there are seven more years of the law of Moses for the Jewish people that was promised under Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Okay, It's very clear what he's doing there. The law is set aside in Christ, however— Until they come to Christ, they are still under the law. This is God's standard for them. Either they are going to be judged by this standard, or they are going to be judged by Christ's righteousness. And that is what God has promised them. Seven more years, that's the tribulation period. We can talk about that again sometime. But I do qualify that the law is taken away in Christ. It is annulled in Christ. It is set aside in Christ because the law was weak and unprofitable. And then Paul says this. I always go to Paul last because people... They're stuck in this um, uh, messianic movement and the Hebrew roots movement. They just dismiss Paul right outright. But they will go to the book of Hebrews, and hopefully they will see what is said in Hebrews. And then they go to Paul and say, well, that matches what Paul says. In Colossians 2, 2 it says, um, having wiped out, what happens if I take an eraser? This is the law of Moses, right? That's what he's speaking about. Mm-hmm. What happens if I do this? it's gone there okay there you go having wiped out the handwriting that's what he's speaking of there of requirements speaking of the law of Moses that was against us which was contrary to us that's the whole point of the law is to show us that we cannot be saved by the law we need desperately need Jesus Christ it was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross the law was nailed to the cross not literally like the 95 theses the law is embodied Christ is the embodiment of the law the law is picturing him all the way through every single detail of it is picturing him he embodies law he was nailed to the cross he is the embodiment of the law he still lived no he died he died on the cross the symbolism there is it because he embodies law he is the law in fulfillment he died that means that the law is still in effect right no, the law died with him. That's the picture that Paul is telling us. The law wasn't literally nailed to the cross. It was Christ in fulfillment of it. He died in fulfillment of the law. The law died. It is done. There is no salvation on this planet apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Zero. John 14:6 is absolutely specific in what it says, and it was fulfilled when he died on that cross. I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That is it. His death annulled the law of Moses. It set it aside. It made it obsolete because it was weak and it was unprofitable. And then you go down just a couple more verses and you see what that means. I'm going to start with, just keep going. Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it, meaning the cross. So let no one judge you in drink, okay? Food or drink. So let no one judge you in food or drink. What is that speaking of? Speaking of the dietary laws of the law of Moses. Okay. Let no one judge you in food or drink or in a festival. Leviticus 23, the feasts of the Lord. Okay. Or regarding or new moon or Sabbath. The new moon was an institution that they observed every month at the new moon. And you have this. You've got the weekly Sabbath. Every week you have a Sabbath observance mandated by the law of Moses. That is done. Every seven years you had a Sabbath which was the uh, annual, we did that just last week, didn't we? The uh, Sabbath the um, uh, Sabbath year of the Lord, where they were not to do any work on the land, okay? That is an olden Christ. We don't have to observe those anymore. And there's another Sabbath. There's six times in the book of Leviticus, it says Shabbat Shabbaton. One of them is the Day of Atonement. So you've got Four pointing to um, uh, the weekly Sabbath one pointing to the yearly Sabbath and the other one the Shabbat Shabbat or Sabbath of complete rest is the day of atonement we don't observe those anymore because he is our day of atonement he is our atoning sacrifice that's why we're not under the law of Moses when you start picking out this precept I have to tithe because if I don't tithe God is going to be mad at me okay that's not true now, I do know somebody that I respect. He teaches that uh, tithing goes back to uh, before the law. He says it's called the uh, law of first mention, okay? which isn't the law at all. But they get away with it by saying that you have tithe because it was mentioned when? In Genesis chapter 13, when Abraham went to Melchizedek and he gave him 10 percent of the spoils. Right. And everybody says, well, see, that's the law of first mention, which means we all have to do that. OK, first, the law of first mention is not a law. All that was was a descriptive passage saying nothing voluntary he I mean nothing uh, mandatory okay. he just voluntarily gave him a tenth of the spoils okay then it mentions when Jacob <laughs> went up to uh, uh and Moran and when he stopped in uh, Bethel which was Luke's at the time and he slept and he had to dream and then he got up and he anointed the stone and he said I promise if you bring me back here safely I will give you 10% of what never records that he did that ever again we have no idea if he did or if he didn't. Irrelevant. But they say, well, see, that's, that's the pattern. And then, of course, it's mandated under the law of Moses. Okay, so you have the law of first mention. If you're to go by the law of first mention of things that predate the law of Moses, you better be ready to do a lot of crazy things. Like your daughter-in-law dies and you have another son. He is now obligated to with her to bear up a child in his name. I could go through so many points before the law of Moses that were mandated that you would say, I'm not doing that. All right. why aren't you doing that because it's first mentioned if you are going to follow this precept you must follow that precept with every single thing mm-hmm. tithing is not mandated before the law it was just something mentioned and it wasn't mentioned in any context which would ever make anybody expect that you have to do it secondly you come into the law of Moses and the law of Moses says that you are to tithe okay surely you shall tithe 10% of everything you have all right but they stop there and they don't tell you what tithing means. Now, does everybody here know what the ten percent tithe was to be done with? If not, I'm going to tell you tonight. I do this from time. Okay. The ten percent tithe, I don't do this often. I it's not true, I do it as often as I can because it makes me so angry. If you are going to teach tithing, if you are going to teach tithing in a church, then you must teach it as the Bible says. The Bible says it says to tithe, tie tithe in Leviticus. It does not define what tithing is, it just simply says that you are. T- you shall surely tithe 10% okay the tithing is defined defined by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy does anybody know a chapter 14 14 do you, starting when 14 and 26 okay it's 14 and 22 oh yeah 14 and 26 <coughs> but do you know what verse in chapter 14 I just said it so yes it's no. 14 22 okay no. yeah okay so here we have Deuteronomy 14 verse 22. And guess what? You're going to have a couple more tithing verses before we get to Deuteronomy 14. And then I'm going to do an entire sermon on that. But I want to do it again right now because it is a sticking point with me. The preachers stand up in the pulpit and say, you have to tithe. You have to tithe. And then they don't say what the tithe actually said. Deuteronomy fourteen 22. I'm going to read it to you you shall surely tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year you have to tithe it's an agrarian society and you are to give a tenth of all of your agrarian produce that means the wheat that means the grapes that means the vegetables whatever comes up ten percent you have to set apart as a tithe okay and you shall here it is And this is said in chapter 12 as well just so you know but in chapter 14 it gives all of the specifics you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil and of your firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always guess what you do with your tithe you go to Jerusalem and you eat your tithe okay we're gonna go on but if the journey is too long for you does anybody have the King James Version here yes okay Um, read um, hang on not yet just a second but if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe it's too much the lord has blessed you so much or if the place where the lord your god chooses to put his name is too far from you when the lord your god has blessed you go ahead and read verse 25 out loud then you shall exchange it for money take the money in your hand and go to the place which the lord your god chooses keep reading and you shall spend the money whatever your heart desires. okay then you're reading a newer King James version because the older one says for whatever your soul lusteth after okay it's very explicit yeah yours yours is it's more updated the King James the original says whatever your soul lusteth after okay you take your time because you've been so blessed by the Lord that you can't carry everything that the Lord has blessed you with and you can't eat it all you take it and you exchange it for money cassettes silver you get silver in your hand you go down to Jerusalem You have a big, fat party. Party. This is your tithe, by the way. Here's what it says. If the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord chooses to put his name is too far, I just can't carry all this down to Jerusalem, then uh, it's too far for you. When the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Kasef, silver, take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink. The word is shahar; It means like Blinko drink. It's not wine. It's like really strong. Think of Jack Daniels today. Have a party. For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. And then it goes on. That's not all the tithing. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gate. He's the preacher. He doesn't have any inheritance of his own because he set them apart without their own property. They were dependent on the people. So take care of your preacher is basically what that says. The Levite who is within your gates for he has no part nor inheritance with you. I am the inheritance of the Levite. That's what the Lord is saying. The Lord says, I am their inheritance. They are mine. I am their inheritance. And so they were dependent upon People, take care of the Levite with all of the blessings that he's blessed you with, which was so much that you couldn't carry it, and you traded it for silver. Take care of your Levite. Okay. Then it says, at the end, verse twenty-eight, at the end of every third. every third year, three, you shall bring the tithe out of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. Two years, you take your tithe and you eat it. This is not a second tithe. This is not a third tithe. Like David Jeremiah says, oh, well, this is another tithe. You have to give 10% on this year. You give another one. That is not what the Bible says. This is three years. At the end of the third year, you take your tithe. The first two, you eat it. The third year, you uh, bring it out, the tithe of your produce of that year, and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, Levite, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are in your gates within your gates may come and, eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you do in the work of the hand which you do okay So he's saying every third year and if you gave away 10% every third year to take care of the widow and the orphan they would be rolling they would be rolling in abundance absolutely there would be enough for everybody if people, and I, I, I'm i just giving an example, we don't tithe in this church, we don't pass a plate, we don't do anything like that. But if we did, if I was to say every person in here was to give 10%, this teeny little church would be rolling in money, right? Absolutely. And if you have a church of 10,000 people or some of these big churches, if everybody gave, but some people give a dollar, some people give $100, some people give whatever, everybody is different, right? They don't mandate that or they shouldn't be mandating it. But it all always comes out in the end. Paul uses the principle in the New Testament as well. Some scattered or some uh, gathered much and some gathered little, and in the end it all came out. The Lord will always provide. You don't beat tithing over people's heads. Okay? Secondly, Deuteronomy 26, 12. Deuteronomy 26, verse 12 says exactly what the doctor just said. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 12. It says, When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the Third year, year, the year of tithing. It is the year of tithing, right? And have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that you may eat within your gates and be filled. Okay, that's it. That's the tithing. And then there is one more. Do you know where it is, Doctor? Amos four four. Amos four verse four. Man, this guy is on the ball. Amos four verse four says. Now, when you read Amos four four, the word is yamin three days. Okay, that's right. It says three days in some Bibles, three years in others. It is an incorrect translation if it says days. You need to pen that, and you need to say years, because he's referring to the law, which I just read you. It says, come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply your transgression, bring your sacrifices every morning, which is required by the law, your tithes every three years, which is required by the law. He's saying you're doing these things, but you're doing it transgressing in the process because your heart is not right with me I don't care if you bring your ties I don't care if you bring your sacrifices if your heart isn't right with me you are not right with me and so that is what he's saying there but the word in your Bible if it says days is incorrect please change that he's referring to the law of Moses uh, Deuteronomy 14 verse 22 through the end of the chapter Deuteronomy 26 12 and the name is 44 he says it how many times three times in the Old Testament, the third year is the year of tithing. So if, if you are to say to somebody, I believe in the law of first mention, okay? I believe in that. Okay, you need to make sure that if your son dies or your daughter-in-law dies, you give your second son to her and all the other things are first mention, but you also need to make sure that you teach the precept on tithing properly, okay? If you're not teaching it according to the word and you're saying bring in 10% all the time, then you're not teaching what the Bible says, so you shouldn't be teaching tithing at all, anyway, ever. The precept is a part of the law of Moses. It is dead in Christ. It is nailed to the cross. It is annulled. It is obsolete. Okay, we don't pick and choose what we want to teach in the Bible. We just take the Bible and we say, "This is what this word says." It's too precious to violate, especially over something like money, because the Lord is going to provide. He will always provide for you. Okay, I know that doesn't sound. Reasonable when some of you are struggling. You've got financial troubles, you got other troubles. What does it say? Uh, 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 the Lord first, and He will direct your steps anyway. You know the verse, okay? Um, he will take care of you. He will always do so. Just put Him first in your life, and your needs will be met. The days should be years. What? The days should be years in Amos 4, verse 4. Okay, because He's referring to the law of Moses. So, yes. What about the part where he says, how have you cheated me by that? Absolutely, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That's the third year. That's when he says, take the tithes and put them in the storehouse, referred to in Deuteronomy 14. Remember, he says the third year, you fill your storehouses with this for the widow, the orphan, all that. In Malachi chapter 4, he's referring to that precept. Bring in all the tithes. You were cheating me. How are we cheating you? by? But he said just believe me in this and I will open the gates of heaven for you And as I said if everybody actually gave to a church 10% every third year or what whatever that equates to I don't know What whatever it is, you know, I'm not a numbers guy But if you were to take 10% every third year and then just make it every week Churches all over America would be filled with money We wouldn't need the government to take care of people because they would be filled money okay but even then we don't put that what is the one prescription in the New Testament for giving give as you prosper, prosper. that's it give as you prosper there is one more it's in um, Galatians chapter 6 where it says be sure to take care of the one that teaches you but don't worry about that just give as you prosper first if you prosper if you're not prospering you know people will send you money and they'll say, listen I want to do this because I'm having financial difficulties." In my answer is always the same to him why would you send me money if you're having financial difficulties get that straight first what does it say in the book of romans it says oh no one anything except the debt of love get that squared away and then give because he if you put him first he will bless you and he will make the way to do that but don't give expecting because when i give i'm going to be blessed don't do that give because you are blessed it's a it's a thing of the heart. Okay, let's go on because um, I I just love to get into the tithing because it's such a bad thing with me. Is that if you're going to teach it, at least teach it properly. But don't teach it. Okay, don't teach it. I sure. it, it, yes. Israel came out of Egypt and they got back wages. Oh, absolutely. And then when they built the tabernacle, they said, "This is what you need to bring." So they all this stuff to it and then what were they- more than enough when they say stop stop giving. stop giving it's more than enough we have abundance yeah absolutely right the Lord they got their back wages from Egypt and the Lord said bring it in they brought it in and finally said we have more than enough just stop giving that's absolutely. the Lord will always meet the need if we just trust him if we just trust that he will do it okay and that doesn't mean I have to tell you I had one pastor who was so mad at me when he, he me well I, I have this what I just told you about um, tithing I had that on my website okay the wonderful one website and uh, he emailed he said well what about a, a small church that doesn't have a lot of people and I said I preach on the beach just right out on the beach right I said we didn't have a lot of people and if somebody gave 25 bucks that week that might be it right okay and I said but guess what I have two arms and two legs and two feet Two arms, two legs, two feet, and two hands. Yeah, I wanted to make sure I got the right things. And I said, "Guess what? I have five part-time jobs, and to this day, I still have four part-time jobs. I do them six days a week because, just because, if you have a small congregation, then you probably don't have a lot of obligation. Well, that's not true. I can guarantee you that. But anyway, you can always fit in extra work. Always. Mm -hmm. You know what? I, I know that there are people that can't work. No problem." But if you can, if you have two arms and two legs, there is never a day that I don't turn down work. Somebody always comes up to me in 7 and says, would you like to come at me? No, I'm, I'm doing well here. I don't need a job. But they're always offering me jobs. And, you know, there's always work out there. If you can I'm saying if you're physically able, if you're not physically able, I'm not trying to make anybody here feel bad. And I'm not trying to say that people don't have financial troubles. Uh, but, you know, because you might say, well, what's the magic here? But there is no magic hero except putting the Lord first and trusting him, and he will meet those needs, okay? I I am certain of that. One of my friends out in California, I was emailing that person today, and I was reminding that individual of just a year ago in their life and how difficult it was, and now everything is fine. The Lord will meet the needs if you put him first. He will. It may not. It'll come in a surprising way, but he will meet those needs. So anyway, let's go on. Um, The Gentiles didn't have the opportunity until Jesus. I said that now rather than pursuing wrong avenues of righteousness the Gentiles just pursuing any Avenue of righteousness not instead of pursuing those wrong avenues of righteousness on one's own merits the proper Avenue could be pursued by the merits of another remember I just went through all of this stuff about the law of Moses it's an old it's obsolete it's set aside it is nailed to the cross the Jews no longer need that Avenue of righteousness and the Gentiles who were going out in all their own avenues of righteousness pursuing whatever right? They no longer need to do that. The Jews are under exactly the same situation as the Gentiles. They had this avenue, which was not not effective. It was to point them to Jesus, and we have all of these other little avenues, and they're obviously ineffective, because God is offended not at their attempts at pleasing him. He's offended at the sin in their lives. Your sins have separated you from me so that I cannot hear, or whatever. I know he misquoted that, but anyway, um, uh, it is the sin problem that must be dealt with first and after that avenue of righteousness evident in Christ okay so um, he fulfilled the needed righteousness any Gentile and the number of them started small didn't it had to start somewhere it grew very rapidly could attain to righteousness now as he says even the righteousness of faith faith is the righteousness right from Genesis chapter 3 verse 20 that I read you when Adam named his wife Hava life because he had faith that what he had just heard was true and then through all the rest of the Bible even to the very last pages it is always about grace through faith grace through faith there is no different salvation for Jew under the law as there is in the tribulation period it is always by grace through faith God's grace I am demonstrating faith guess what it takes a lot a lot of faith to say i'm not going to take the mark of the beast and i'm willing to lose my head that takes a lot of faith but that is what is going to happen and that is still grace by faith okay there's a deed involved with it it's just not your deed somebody else is going to be the one to take off your head but it is still the same salvation christ will always save people in the same way he expects us to believe enough to say i'm willing to to give up of self and trust in another okay by grace through faith this this term as Paul says the righteousness of faith is what proves that this has nothing to do with Gentiles seeking righteousness in a limited or wrong way instead it demonstrates that they understood immediately upon hearing the word what the Avenue they had been pursuing one of deeds was wrong the deeds merely interfered with any hoped-for relationship and attainment of righteousness this was because they became a self a form of self idolatry that's what deeds are when you say I'm going to go out and I'm going to do something to please God all it is is saying I there's no I in the equation every single thing that we do in life is always trying to attempt to please God in this way or that I don't care what religion I've been all over this planet I've been lived six years in one country three years in another and I went to all other countries and I'd love to find out what people were doing I wasn't saved at the time but everybody was Everybody believed there was a God, and they're all doing something in order to be saved. Oh, you had a question a second ago, didn't you? you? Oh, good, I'm glad, I had a point, I didn't want to lose it, so good, I'm glad. Okay, um, Thank you. so, um, uh, deeds always lead back to self, always, and that is what is excluded. There is no I in the equation when it comes to salvation in Christ Jesus, okay? So we're doing it in a limited way, it's uh, uh, deeds wrong deeds merely interfere with any hope for a relationship and the attainment of righteousness because of self idolatry I have done these great things God will love me and that's what you know what when you go up to somebody and you ask them why should God you know this is what I do when I witness to somebody I say why should God accept you into heaven they believe you first I always ask them do you believe in heaven oh sure do you believe in God oh yeah well then why should God believe you into heaven what is a very standard answer Tom you know I've been a good guy right good. usually, usually yeah it's usually you know oh, I'm, I'm not as bad as this guy or you know I it's they always say I in there somewhere yeah. that always comes back to that and until they can understand that I is not in the equation they're going to keep thinking they're okay with God I'll just do a little bit more I'll do a little differently Uh, you know God didn't like that but that's okay because it's it always comes back to I and we see that in the projects a lot anytime I'm at 7-eleven or wherever else and I talk to somebody about the Lord it always comes back to that and you've got to break them of I and once they understand that then you say well it's free it's a gift he's done the job so anyway this is fully substantiated by the three coming verses we have time too. stay tuned as we complete chapter nine with those thoughts like let me see if we're gonna we might not get through it but we'll try um, life application where is your righteousness to be found if you state anything other than in christ jesus you've missed the mark in and of ourselves there is no true righteousness Blake and I were talking about that before class today. He came in early and we sat and talked. There there is nothing apart from Christ. That is it. All right, Christ has done the work. Now, place your faith in him and you will stand righteous before God. Not on your own merits, but on the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wow, and it's a gift. 931, okay, here, we'll see if we can get through with these verses. I don't know. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness verse 31 but is set in contrast to verse 930 have a wonderful night Rita it is set in contrast to 930 the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness even the righteousness of faith Israel actively pursued the law of righteousness the same word used for pursue when speaking of the Gentiles in the preceding verse is used again in this one exact same word what the Gentiles didn't pursue they attained. The same thing was pursued by Israel and yet not attained. However, this is speaking on a national level, not on an individual level, okay? Can anybody think of a reason why it's not on a national level? Well, let me ask you this, was Peter saved? Was Paul saved? Right? Individually. Uh, Individually, so it's individually. Israel as a whole is treated as Israel as a whole. They are a national unit, and that is why Daniel 9, 24 through 27 must come about, is because they are a national unit, and God has promised them these national corporate promises. When Jesus says he's returning to Israel, remember the verse, um, Oh, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a chick, uh, hand gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not let me. I tell you, your house has left you desolate. I tell you you shall not see me again is he speaking to individuals he's speaking to Jerusalem the seat of power which governs the entire nation of Israel the corporate body you shall not see me again until you say corporately blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord individual Jews are being saved day by day by day I love to point them out I'll say it again because I love when people go and watch those videos and they email me and they tell me how wonderful they are one for Israel they're very professionally done they're always a Jew that has come to the Lord and they speak about how it happened and what their life was like before Christ and afterward watch them they're very short videos I mean they're like seven minute testimonies and they are very well done you watch those and you'll see Jews are coming to Christ all right so anyway that was a little bit of a diversion Um, uh, where was that the uh, Peter Paul and the apostles plus many early believers were all Jews throughout the ages Jews have likewise come to Christ but Israel as a whole who had been given the law did not attain to what they actively strived for they were striving as a corporate body to be the people of God to be redeemed by God and to sit at the head of the nations and that didn't happen because they did not pursue the law of righteousness which is through Christ Jesus as a corporate body but the individuals did right okay the law of righteousness, Paul speaks of here, is the law given to govern them as a people. It had several components to it. The first is that it demanded perfection from its people, something unattainable. The second is that when perfection could not be attained, grace was found within its rituals, sacrifices, and offerings, which included the penultimate for them, the Day of Atonement, which once again only points to the really true Day of Atonement Christ. But these required something more than their mere observance. Remember I talked about the heart a little while ago? That's what it requires. The thing they required in order to be effective will be seen in the following verse, Romans 9 32. Before evaluating that, we can contemplate an example of what was lacking directly from the words of Jesus. In Luke chapter 18. Let me see here in Luke chapter 18. We'll be there in a second. Okay. 18 and then verse 10 it says one more page charlie the two men oh i love this one two men up but went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee and the other a tax collector the pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself god i thank you that i'm not like other men extortioners unjust idolaters or adulterers or even as this tax collector i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i possess And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Very good. Life application. As individuals pursuing righteousness, we need to constantly evaluate what it means for us to be righteous. If we misunderstand or ignore what God expects, we may become like the Pharisees of Jesus' time, and God will not favor our life or conduct. No matter how scrupulous we are in our external observances, pay heed to what the Bible teaches concerning God's favor and uh, your, and live your life of faith. Okay, And like I said, that, that is a struggle for everybody. The more that we get into the Bible, the more that we know it, the more we think, "Well, gee, I'm 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 better than that guy." Or I, you know, and it just it, it's a human trait that we have to keep bringing ourselves back down to the level that it doesn't matter how much I know, it doesn't matter how much theology I have or how much training I have or how much I've given to the church or whatever your thing is. It matters nothing. All that matters is faith. Like I said, the person that doesn't give anything to a church because he can't but he comes to church because he loves the word of God, is in a far better position than a person that sits in the front row and gives a million dollars a year if he doesn't really believe what he's giving for or if he thinks he's doing it to, to merit God's favor or the pastor's favor or whatever crazy thing we think. Okay, 9.32. Um, why? I'm going to read 31 again. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were by the works of the law for they stumbled at the stumbling stone stumbling stone I gave this example I think it was in the very first sermon I ever preached at a Grace Baptist Church a stumbling stone is something that you stumble over you don't see big things and stumble over them what do you do you walk around them when you're walking down this sidewalk if there's a raised piece of concrete that is this high that high and you don't see it you will stumble over that That is a stumbling zone. It's something that's right there, but you just don't see it. If you see it, you're not going to stumble over it. If they saw Christ, they would have come to Christ. Okay, so here we go. Um, 932, the question is, why has Israel pursuing the law of righteousness not attained to the law of righteousness? The answer is found in how they pursued the law. Leviticus 18 verse 5 my favorite verse from Leviticus the you shall therefore keep these statutes and judgments which if a man does them he shall live by them absolutely to live is not to die if you do the law you will not die that was a promise it was a guarantee and yet every person under the law of Moses without fail every one of them except one died and he actually he did die it just wasn't because of his violation of law it was our violation Okay, and then he came back out of the grave because he didn't violate that law. Okay, everybody under the law of Moses died and did not live. Okay, you shall therefore keep those statutes. Perfect obedience to the statutes was needed for life, but within the law itself, it was implied that perfect obedience wasn't possible. Where is that found in the day of atonement, right? Because if they have a day of atonement, it means that they didn't fulfill the law. Nobody needs atonement if they didn't do something wrong because it's to cover atonement means far it means to cover over i'm covering over what you've done wrong atonement rituals which are detailed in several locations of the law here in numbers 29 7 through 11 numbers 29 7 through 11 what I did instead of including all of the uh, verses in the commentary when I printed them off I delete them so I'm so cheap I'm saving paper that's why I'm always going back and forth in the Bible instead of reading them out of here if you go online you can read these right online with them I just cut and pasted them over there but twenty seven I'm just way too cheap um, on the tenth day of this seventh month you shall have a holy convocation you shall afflict your souls you shall not do any work You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure that they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for for the one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, beside the sin offering for atonement, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering, and their drink offerings. That's one example even more specific details fill the entire chapter of Leviticus chapter 16 we've gone through that wonderful stuff all of it pointed to Christ in a most marvelous way okay numbers uh, Leviticus 16 it was also in Leviticus 23 under the feasts of the Lord notice that the offerings include a sin offering remember I read that to you a second ago sin offering why is this important because a sin offering implies that it? sin has been committed that's correct Thus the Lord itself demonstrate that sin is expected but the law says which if a man does he shall live by them therefore the law implicitly notes that man cannot live by observance of the law because man is unable to perfectly observe the same law you all got that now think about us in Christ because anybody that says I can perfectly observe all the things that we need to do every day doesn't understand their continuing need for Jesus I mean, literally, every day, I just ask Kitako or my dad, they know me. Every day, I have to think, I am so glad for the grace of Christ. I'm so hugely glad that it is done at the cross. And I can get on with my life and I can say, I'm really sorry about that thought or that thing that I've done. I'm so glad that you did this for me. We we all need to keep that attitude because if we don't, we're going to start getting elevated, okay? Um, nobody is able to observe the law. They cannot live by observance of the law. So then how could the people continue before God? How? By observing another portion of the law? One based solely on faith? The Day of Atonement. That's how. Okay, even though the rituals within the Day of Atonement were mandated by the law, they anticipated something from outside the law. That's the beauty of the Day of Atonement. The question is, did the sin offerings cover the sins of all the people? No. The answer is no. If someone stayed at home and worked, something that the law explicitly said was forbidden, on the Day of Atonement, he was to be cut off from his people. Leviticus 23 verse 29 says that. Therefore, he had to have something. Faith. He had to have faith that he was going to to Jerusalem or staying at home or doing whatever, fasting and praying, would actually bring about what the law stated. He had to have faith in that. Everybody got that? It was by faith that they were saved in anticipation of Messiah, even under the law, because the law mandates that they have a Day of Atonement. But the Atonement doesn't come from them. It comes from God who atones or covers their sin, and that can only happen by faith. Likewise, could the animal sacrifices permanently take away the sins of the people? Again, no. We already quoted this. The New Testament says that it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And those sacrifices was the reminder of sins every year. But the sins continued. Thus, the law itself demonstrates that through pursuing the mere observance of the law, no one could attain righteousness because every year they needed a reminder of their sins every single year and daily and weekly and monthly sacrifices all reminded them that sin was evident among the people in fact attempting to do so uh, was that what i where i was uh, yes, I in fact attempting to do so would only be on the basis for something else which i mentioned in the previous verse self-idolatry by observing the law without faith a man became confident in himself apart from the law that he was observing this was because the law implied sins would be committed and needed atonement. And therefore, many years after the introduction of the law, Paul refers to him a couple times, a prophet, very small little book, what was it? Habakkuk, right? Was able to confidently say in Habakkuk two verse four. Do you know it offhand, Burke? Okay, come on. What? Live by faith. The man shall live by faith. It says two verse four. Behold the proud. His soul is not bright in him. Proud, self-idolatry, but the just shall live by his faith. Absolutely right. And Paul refers to that. He says that because that is, even in the Old Testament, the standard for all people. This is the stumbling stone. Remember I was talking about the stumbling stone? That teeny little thing that they missed is that the law itself, which mandated everything, also mandated that they had to have faith they had to faith is the stumbling stone that Paul speaks of and which still permeates the Jewish society today that is also unfortunately a stumbling stone for people in a vast variety of denominations sects and cults it is a tripping hazard leading to hell okay because God doesn't want your deeds he doesn't want you to spend a lot of money on the church and all of those other things until you are right with him faith and then everything you do after that comes under the category of rewards, <laughs> rewards and losses thank you absolutely right alright so the Bible makes it perfectly clear that there is one way to be saved and it is by complete dependence on the work of Christ one must abandon self and call on the name of the Lord Romans 10 9 and 10 only Jesus satisfies the demands of the law perfectly we're gonna get it done today therefore by faith in his work alone can we stand justified before God That's it. Faith alone, life application. Are you being told that there are certain things you must do beyond calling on Jesus as Lord in order to be saved or to continue in a right standing of God? got to give 10%. Make sure you give extra for the missionaries here next week too. And then make sure you give for the potluck supper next week. Forget it. Okay? Forget it. If he tells you you have to do something, I'm talking about any he. I'm talking about any he anywhere, that you have to do something to make God happy, don't do it okay if so maybe you haven't fully trusted in Jesus unfortunately self can only lead you to destruction give up on self and call on Jesus as Lord then go forth and tell others of the freedom which is found in Christ now that does not mean because quite often we'll have a missionary here and I'll ask you know please let's give to these people but I never say it any amount I never say any anything I just say these people have a need they presented their case and they, their mission is not going to go forward without you helping And I tell you, people always meet their needs. Always. You know what? People send in money from somewhere else, and they they say, it touched my heart what Ray and Jess said or what this person said, and they help them out. And their needs will be met. If the Lord wants them to be in that country, they're going to continue to be funded. And if he doesn't, he will pull them out if they are right with the Lord. Because there's all kinds of missionaries overseas that are funded that are not right with the Lord, okay? If you are willing to put the Lord first and he wants your mission to end, he will end it. And if he wants it to continue, it will continue. I'm talking about people that are right with the Lord, not overseas because they want to get away from their family or whatever reason they go on missionary tasks, okay? I'm talking about people that have a heart for what they're doing. He will will ensure that that is met, okay? 933, and we are done. We got 10 minutes, and I think we can do it. Let me see the whole page. We're going to try. Um, uh, As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Okay, I'm going to go quick. To close out chapter 9 of this previous book, Paul returns one last time to scripture. As it is written, he says, time and time again, Paul reaches into the very words which his people relied on for the establishment and continuation as a group he does this in an attempt to open their eyes to the truth of who Jesus is as a second purpose it is to show the Gentile people why Israel was to be cast off and he knew it was coming he knew it was coming and he's still writing about Israel's in the land but he said they're gonna be broken off if he didn't do this then it might seem as if God was being arbitrary and unreliable but by doing so, he will be able to demonstrate, coming in chapter 11, not 10, but 11, that he is capable and just in both refavoring Israel and removing Gentiles for disbelief. Paul's method of arguing directly from Scripture to make his case is seen in his travels documented in Acts also. For an example of this, and I'm not going to read it. Wait, yeah, I'm going to read it. I'm not going to skip over this. Acts 18, 27, and 28. All right. 18, 27, and 28. He says um, uh, and when he desired to cross to Ahiah, oh yeah uh, Ahiah, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him and when he arrived he greatly helped those who had believed through grace for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ okay so he used the scriptures to show the Jews who Jesus was now remember there was no New Testament he is writing the New Testament the other authors of the New Testament are writing it there may have been Matthew or Mark one or two of the Gospels and that's it he is writing it the reason why he could do this and the reason that he followed through with it is that Jesus Christ is the center and the focus and the basis for all of Scripture we've seen that Genesis Exodus Leviticus Ruth and um, what's the other one we did Jonah it's all about Jesus every single word He was able to do that because that is where he is. Everything points to him, his coming, his work, his lordship. By failing to note this one great truth, people miss the mark of what God is doing in the course of redemptive history. And so for the closing of this chapter, we are directed to two separate quotes from Isaiah, 814 and 2816. These have been combined by Paul to make his point. (coughs) Verse 814 is speaking of the one mentioned in 813, the Lord of hosts. Or Jehovah Sabaoth and refers to the comments on Romans 8 29 if you want to understand that we talked about that last week okay what Paul is doing is to show that Jehovah of the Old Testament Yahweh if you prefer is in fact Jesus Christ he is the same entity he is incarnate now but it's the same entity Jesus Christ he is the foundation stone of Zion the foundation stone is the most important stone in the building because everything else everything else is supported and aligned by it okay the Lord through Isaiah is saying that Jesus is the foundation of the faith and he is the establishment of God's work Jesus the foundation stone will be a stone of stumbling one stumbles over what they do not see the nation of Israel failed to open their eyes and evaluate God's word impartially and because of this they stumbled right over the very thing that God was trying to show them as i said you search the scriptures they speak of me that's what he says in john chapter 5 we search the scriptures and we find out that it always speaks of him right they stumbled over that all right um uh, they didn't open their eyes because of this they stumbled right over the very thing god was trying to show them jesus demonstrated this to them in john 5 i just quoted to you i'm not going to do it again same thing these you search the scriptures they speak of me 39 and 40. instead of believing jesus became a rock of offense he's not just a stumbling stone he's a rock of offense this means that what should have been to them life faith and practice instead became a source of scorn and derision they were offended at his words and claims because they couldn't open their eyes to who he is but for those who do believe as Paul says they will not be put to shame and so there's a contrast failure to accept Jesus meaning disbelief causes one to trip and be offended they will be to shame understanding who he is and accepting him meaning exercising of faith will lead to God's favor it's one or the other right one or the other and this explains what Paul stated in the preceding verse verse 932 which said they did not seek it by faith but as it were by works of the law as is consistent throughout the Bible faith is what reconciles man to God the just shall live by faith but misdirected faith is wasted faith as i said muslims have faith can't say that they don't they go in and blow themselves up don't they they kill a bunch of people in the process buddhists have faith they go and they put gold all over their their idols over in uh thailand and in japan they do this and they do everybody has faith but misdirected faith is wasted faith that's all it is I got faith in something I got faith that if I sit in that chair it's not gonna buckle under me that's faith right if I sit on a shoddy chair that was wasted faith it all comes down to faith in almost everything you do all right so um, and this explains we oh, I'm gonna make it as and this explains what Paul stated in the preceding verse okay consistent through the Bible uh, the Jews of uh, the Jews Paul speaks of had faith in themselves and in their deeds of the law not in God's provision. Life application and we are done. The book of Romans is a step-by-step instruction concerning God's working in redemptive history. Each step logically builds upon the preceding one in order to show us the marvelous plan that he has laid out for the people of the world. Now you need to understand that if you started in the book of Romans late and you want to know what it, it, it doesn't really make sense to come in and start in chapter 8 or chapter 9. You really have to do the whole thing. They're all recorded. You can go back and watch them or the commentaries online. I typed one of these every day until the book was done. I don't know how many verses there were, but there were like 300 or something, so it took a year, whatever. And But go back and read one a day, and uh, it, it just—eventually it'll all fit in perfectly and you know what the thing about Romans is that as soon as you get done if we started right back at the beginning it would be new again it is the most marvelous book it is it it is as people call it the what the Constitution of Christianity it is the foundation what a marvelous book okay Um, when you see that God rejected Israel it's important to understand why with this knowledge we can be assured that it wasn't done arbitrarily further when god restores them we can see that it is solely an act of grace absolutely through this select group of people and how god has dealt with them we can better understand how he deals with us he is full of grace completely fair and will never 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 cast out those who properly exercise their faith in what he has done it will never happen the the chances of lo- losing your salvation after calling on christ are absolutely Zero. Absolutely zero. He says in Romans 7 that nothing in creation can separate me from the love of God, which is found in Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? I am a part of creation. I cannot separate me from Jesus Christ. It is a done deal. He will save me despite myself. And the same thing is true with you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ooh, we made it just in time. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Sergio was able to get the... uh, Computer going. I pray that it's still going and the streaming is still active. And if not, it'll be there recorded so we can put it up later. But either way, Lord, we thank you for the chance to come to you, to uh, study your word. We thank you so much for this book of Romans and the, the wisdom that came from you through Paul, which is given to us to understand the glory, the absolute glory of what Jesus Christ has done. That he came and fulfilled that law, and we don't have anything to worry about in that law. It to exercise faith that he completed it what a deal what a bargain let's pray lord together with the people here that many people will want to know jesus in the week ahead because of our witness and our testimony Instill this in us instill it in us so that we will want to tell people about jesus every person that we walk by on the street each and every day every single one of them is going to one of only two places and it's our duty to open our mouths and speak so prompt us prompt in us so that we will bring you honor and glory and that they will go to a far better place thank you lord thank you for this word thank you above all for jesus and it's in his name we pray amen Amen. okay let me back this up say goodbye to folks online here no thank you let's see here we're gonna go break (laughs) hang on a sec Okay, somebody from Australia today reminded me how much she loves us, waving to her. So we'll say goodbye, everybody. We love you so much. Have a great week, and we'll uh, hope to see you on Sunday. Here, there, or in the air—absolutely right. Oh goodness, what a what a book! Oh, what a book, Romans. Let's